Hello and welcome to Euractiv's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Paul Andres. I'm Julia Ram. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here is your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractiv's Agri-Food team. This week, the busiest week of the year and a conversation on nature in nature with Commission Vice President Franz Timmermans. Indeed, what a week. What a week. Is it summer yet? <laughs> We're all ready for summer now. <laughs> Even for the weather outside in Brussels. It was not so good, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, what a week. You know, that, uh, that meme uh, that say, ah, it's only Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> it's Wednesday. I feel like in Brussels, everybody uses that meme every week. <laughs> We were actually allowed, authorized to use that, week, that uh, meme last week because it was uh, literally the busiest uh, week of the year. There was the... Of course, listener of our podcast already knew that, but there was the presentation of the food and biodiversity package, which is no longer food and biodiversity package. It's a name change. It's yeah. now uh, sustainable. sustainable use of natural resources. Yeah, which which sounds a bit like sustainable use of uh, you know the pesticides. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the, it's it's a brand. It's a new brand of the commission. Every everyone everything from now on will be sustainable use. Sustainable use of something. <laughs> And uh, there weren't uh, big surprises, surprises. I mean, it's basically the same <laughs> that we expected. Uh, we talked a bit, uh, actually, we talked extensively last week uh, about the main fe features of uh, this package, but we actually didn't talk that much about food waste. Yes, so as part of this uh, big sustainable use package, uh, there was a revision, well, a proposal which was part of a revision of the EU's Waste Framework Directive, which is a directive from 2008. And in this, in this revision, the Commission proposed that the first ever legally binding targets for, for waste. It included targets for textile waste and for food waste. So in the case of food waste, uh, the Commission proposed to reduce it by 30% in households, restaurants, and retail, so shops, food stores, uh, by 2030. And in the case of the processing and manufacturing of food, manufacturing of food, the Commission proposed a reduction of a 10% by 2030. So this is basically everything that happens before the food is sold, but excluding the farm uh, at the farm level. Um, so this all sounds very good, but some some organizations and also lawmakers have been uh, calling uh, the commission to actually uh, implement a 50% target, which is the target that sets the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which the EU has um, yeah, which the EU has committed to, which is to reduce by 50% food waste by 2030. So, well, the Commission's uh, target is a bit lower than that. Um, there is also some conversation about how is the Commission actually going to, you know, check or, um, f uh, yeah, implement the 30% target in households. Um, I think this is a fair question. Yeah, it's a fair question. Uh, to be fair, it's, a, it's the fair question when it comes to every kind of uh, legislation. Uh, <laughs> How is it I mean, implemented? <laughs> no, they, they have this... Uh, it's not that old, this 
strategy of putting targets, which uh, which has also been uh, criticized in the past. Mm-hmm. Even if you think about the fifty percent of uh, pesticide reduction, why fifty? Why not sixty? Why not seventy? You know, if you think about it, uh, it's uh, it's an approach that shows ambition, but sometimes it's criticized because of. Uh, both how you you set the bar, but also how you actually implement. Yeah, it. and often it leaves the actual measures to be taken up to member states or to any indeed, other levels. So it's saying, okay, we should reduce, but how we reduce? Um, well, you guys figure that out. Yeah, yeah. And we know when it comes to member states, particularly when it comes to, um, you know, when they have a, an active role, sometimes uh, uh, the it's it's even difficult to transpose the same ambition to the national legislation sometimes. So uh, it's a fair question uh, and it's a long-standing question, but I'm sure they're going to find a way. We'll see what happens. But in the meantime, uh, you know, buy only what you're going to eat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the advice, life uh, advices we from Paola. You are welcome. <laughs> Paola is our solo singer today because uh, yes. in, in the studio we have just two microphones and we are three and she got the the solo one. But I got <laughs> the killer mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the microphone actually just fell before <laughs> starting, starting this podcast. Uh, but no one uh, got harmed. I mean, we're, we're, we're no all fine. No problems were harmed in the beginning <laughs> <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, we move to the other topic. There were four uh, main uh, proposals. Uh, the second one was uh, on soil. And Julia, this is uh, your topic. Yeah, indeed. There was a proposal on soil, and this was the first ever EU law that covers soil. So um, a pretty big step forward. At least that's what uh, Environment Commissioner Virginia Sinkovicius said um, or stressed. Uh, so this is something that the EU is taking into its hands with this proposal that's been in the hands of member states before. But there was also another side to it, as, um, as there usually is, because... This law also had a last-minute name change, as did the whole package, as we just talked about. Um, so the law was supposed to be a, a soil health law, and it was already um, kind of announced or foreshadowed by the Commission in its um, soil strategy that it tabled already one and a half years ago. And back then, the Commission was saying that the soil health law is set to give soil the same protected status that air and water already have in the EU. And now this is, it's fair to say, I think, that it has changed a bit, this ambition. And the, the law was renamed from soil health law to soil monitoring law. So it was it was a reality check, you know, like the change of the name from uh, food and biodiversity package to sustainable use of natural resources was a bit of a communication tweak. This one is just, uh, yeah, it's, it's about soil monitoring. Yeah, it's... Okay. Uh, pretty much about admitting to what the yeah. law is actually about in the end. Um, and accordingly, also, the law uh, sets out an obligation for member states to collect data on soil health and to report that and to evaluate it. But it doesn't set out any obligation or even targets like the ones we talked about for food waste. Not even uh, targets. Not even <laughs> targets. What are we doing then? <laughs> we don't have targets. Um, for actually um, improving soil health, which is quite bad in um, many places in the EU. Um, so campaigners and also some lawmakers were pretty disappointed, uh, saying that this has has nothing to do anymore with the original ambition, some green lawmakers said. Um, and environmentalists also pointed out, that, uh, as Gerardo just did as well, that uh, the change of the name betrays that there was also a change in the actual ambition of the law. 
And uh, yeah, the last two proposals in the package, okay, uh, one of these proposals we talked about the extensively in the past weeks, it's the one on uh, new genomic techniques, so basically gene editing, uh, which, uh, okay, maybe one interesting aspect is the legal framework. So uh, this amendment to the GMO regulation, uh, as I said, it's an amendment. So it's not a new legislative framework. It's really, it's part of the GMO uh, framework. So uh, you know that before the presentation of this proposal, there was this question whether uh, NGTs were a new thing or they were just, you know, the regulation of NGTs. Our take is that it's actually uh, um, a deregulation of the GMO directive. So it's basically, uh, they still be considered as GMO. Like I, I spoke last week with uh, um, an expert from the European Patent Office and they say that they're going to apply the um, the rules, even if if there's a you know some new rules on NGTs, in the end they they all gonna apply the uh, biotech pat patent patent directive. So in the end, uh, it's true that they want to boost this kind of technology, but from the legal point of view, there's no such a big di difference. Let's say, uh, and uh, as I said, the the other interesting part is. Uh, of course, there are many interesting interesting part, but we spoke about it uh, in the in the past episodes. And also, you can uh, you can um, uh, check on our website uh, our coverage on new genomic techniques. But the new thing is uh, the the part on the intellectual property rights. Uh, intellectual property rights. It's a bit it's a controversial issue when it comes to seeds and breeding because, of course, it limits the accessibility for farmers to uh, basically cru crucial components of uh, their business, uh, seeds and, uh, and uh, uh, for instance, reproductive materials, which was the other, um, plant reproductive materials, which was the other uh, proposal in the package. Um, and in the end, the commission didn't really take a stance when it comes to patentability uh, obtained by these new methods uh, because they said that uh, they... They're not gonna touch for the moment the the already mentioned uh, biotech uh, directive uh, when it comes to the patentability of these uh, uh, technologies, but they're gonna do some uh, market assessment, some market research, and uh, they might have uh, some uh, kind of follow up actions on the basis of these results. Um, after 2026, so they're basically taking time on the uh, issue, the controversial issue or patentability of these uh, technologies, which can be pa patented. So it's uh, it's not like, like for instance, there's a prohibition of patenting conventional, um, uh, you know, prod f seeds uh, obtained through conventional breeding, because of course you you can't uh, patent. Uh, you know, native traits uh, such as uh, it happens in the past. For instance, uh, some big uh, food corporation like Unilever, they tried to patent a tomato which uh, had a reduced quantity of water, and this uh, this tomato was uh, obtained through conventional, like I mean, biological process, natural bi biological process, and uh, and uh, again, you you can't really and tomatoes um, but now there's this issue of the of course I mean you're 
patenting technically the technology. <laughs> so uh, you can actually do it. For instance, the, the, the famous category one type uh, NGTs could be patented as a, as a technology. Uh, so it remains open. My my take is also that uh, this thing gonna be uh, will be dealt with uh, by the lawmakers during the negotiations because 2026 is the time frame for this study, and it's basically when the negotiation uh, with the lawmakers gonna happen. So there might be some attempts from both the ministers and the MEPs uh, to try to you know, put together at least some, some more detail when it comes to IP rights in this legislation. But uh, it's also true that, again, if you don't know, reopen the biotech uh, patent directive, it's going to be a bit difficult. And uh, last thing, uh, there was this other proposal on, uh, I already mentioned it, plant reproductive material and forest reproductive material. So, we're talking about an attempt to rationalize a very fragmented legal framework. There were more than 10 uh, different laws. Uh, some, some of them uh, were dating back to 1960s, and they were trying to merge them into this new, uh, these two regulations. Uh, so just to make it clear, uh, plant reproductive materials are basically uh, material used to reproduce other plants. So uh, it might include seeds, uh, but also cuttings, trees, uh, uh, tuber roots, and so on. Uh, it's actually a very good market. Uh, we talked about it uh, last week. Uh, Europe has the 20% uh, share of the global market for these products. And uh, there are also interesting features. It's basically about changing the sustainability criteria, so basically adapting them uh, to the Green Deal. Uh, there's uh, an article on our website uh, explaining the main feature. It's also about forest reproductive material. And uh, for instance, for uh, Commissioner, uh, Vice President of the Commission, Timmermans, uh, this could help uh, uh, EU meet the target of 3 billion new trees by 2030. Um, we said also that it was a busy week because there, there were other, uh, other stuff happened. Uh, there's something on glyphosate. Yeah, uh, another step in the decision-making process, let's say, on whether to reapprove glyphosate, which is currently approved uh, in the EU until the end of the year as an active substance um, in plant protection products. Um, but as many of you might know, it's very contentious, uh, this herbicide. Uh, as many worry that it's uh, cancer-causing and has also harmful effects on the environment and so on. Um, but actually, EU agencies uh, don't think this is the case, mostly. Um, so what was new this week is that um, EU Food Safety Authority, EFSA, um, gave its verdict, which was um, awaited for a very long time and had been postponed a few times, on whether or not glyphosate poses any serious risks. And they think it doesn't. They um, concluded that glyphosate has no, there are no critical concerns about glyphosate is the wording they, they chose. Um, and a critical, a critical concern means that um, there is a danger or a risk when it comes to all the potential users of glyphosate. So throughout different stages of the planting process. 
Um, so if there's only a risk for some of them, then the concern isn't classed as critical. Although we don't have the study yet. Like, I mean, uh, it's going to be published at the end of July. Yeah, we don't have the details yet. We're so far relying on a press release by EFSA because they haven't published a full report. They've given it to the Commission Member States, apparently, but uh, not published it. We know, we know what you're doing. I'm talking to the listeners from EFSA because we have... Uh, this. We know what you're doing. You just wanted to release the outcome between the big package and the nature restoration law so that people will actually notice uh, your work. <laughs> we know that it, I excluded the strategy. You know? so otherwise, why anticipating the outcomes without giving... Uh, it's not like people don't care about glyphosate enough otherwise. <laughs> Yeah, also because, I mean, uh, the end of July is a bit uh, problematic to push uh, things because there's no AgriFood podcast. Because, uh, That's true. We will be on holiday. When you, plan your, so, when you do your time planning. It's a nice attempt. It's a nice attempt. And the last thing that was presented in the busiest week of the year was the uh, much-awaited, not really much-awaited because uh, we got the leak uh, two, three weeks ago, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the extra impact assessment requ- uh, requested by the ministers, uh, the agriculture ministers, and uh, uh, was published last Thursday, together with some uh, updates, uh, the annual update on the farm-to-fork targets when it comes to uh, the uh, reduction of pesticides, the use of pesticides. Um, so in, according to this annual update, compared to the period from uh, 2015 to 2017, which is also the baseline, for the, the, baseline, the baseline for the reduction targets in the sustainable use of pesticide uh, regulation, the use of chemical pesticides in the EU already fell by a third by 2021. Uh, less progress uh, was made uh, when it comes to the um, the hazardous pesticides, the hazard of pesticide, because they shrunk only by 21% compared to 2015. Uh, compared to 2015 and the 2017 period. So um, new data with which the Commission tried to uh, overcome the current stalemate. Uh, we know that the Greens actually, after the publication of, uh, of, the, of this um, new data and the impact assessment, they're calling to basically uh, break the, st- the, the current styling and try to uh, go ahead. Yeah, because this has been the thing that people have been waiting for to move Indeed. ahead in the negotiations, basically. Indeed. And uh, let's see what did what is going to happen. Also, I mean, uh, the rapporteur of the file in the parliament is a, is a green lawmaker, is uh, mm-hmm. Sarah Wiener. Uh, we heard from them from her uh, in some previous episode of the podcast, if I remember uh, correctly. And uh, yeah, let's see if this will actually give the uh, the final, um, let's say, put put pedal to metal uh, to the to you know the approval of this reform of the pesticide framework uh, in the EU. Also this week, your activist Natasha Food uh, managed to catch the uh, Vice President uh, Franz Timmermans uh, in a field in Ytre, Belgium. And they talked about the politicization of agriculture in the run-up to the elections, uh, to the EU elections, and also his vision for the sector and the future of CAP. So let's hear what he has to say, since he's been, I would say, in the spotlight very much uh, last week. So let's hear from him. 
So what would be your main message to a farmer? You know, there's this, there's this increasing gap of a dichotomy, supposedly, of farming versus nature. Yeah. How do you see that we bridge that? What would be your message to the well, farming community? Well, basically, I mean, this is a bit inspired by what we heard here today. Um, could we get into a conversation of where we are, not next year, but in 10 years or in 15 years, and start from there and then see how we get you to those next 10 and 15 years, what we can do to support you in making the choices that will make your farm sustainable. I think, I think that is the way forward. Agriculture is increasingly becoming extremely politicized yes. in the upcoming these elections. I mean, how do you see that shaping the tone of these upcoming EU elections? And how do you see that impacting the... Well, I believe that uh, as soon as you can really get, sit down with the farmers, not with Copacojeca, who are not always really representing all the farmers, but if you can get through that, if you can get to the farmers, you will see they are reasonable, they're rational. They know that they can't continue the way things are going right now. So that's a conversation we need to have. And we need to make sure we demonstrate that we can reorient, you know, the 387 billion euros we have in seven years for the common agriculture policy in a direction that will help farmers also change their ways. And many farmers want to change their ways. Well, one should start by asking whether the funds we have, I mean, 387, I think it is, uh, billion euros, it's quite a substantial amount of money. Are we spending that in the right way right now? I don't think so. I think that's where it starts. And I think once you have a discussion about that, the discussion about ulterior funds, etc., using the structural funds, etc., becomes easier. But if you just have a discussion about, first look after the vested interest and then see if you can do something else, many, many, many members, more and more member states will not be able to follow that reasoning. You know, vested interests have to be part of the conversation. They are not excluded from the choices we need to make. 337 billion, but the, the argument is that lots of people are criticizing that the fact that the cap's becoming stretched thinner and thinner across more and more to have more and more ground to it. What would you, what would you say to that? I mean, lots of people are saying that the, the cap budget needs to be bigger. Do you, do you agree with that or do you just think? Well, it's frankly, it's only a very limited group of people who are asking for more money for the cap because... Well, you Commissioner know, Wojcicki. Yes, um, uh, but I, I, think, I think if I look at the member states, if I look at all the challenges we have, we will need 50 billion extra to address the issue in Ukraine. Do you honestly believe that there's going to be a huge constituency in the member states who say, let's give more money to agriculture? You know, it's again, it might be serving uh, or self-serving to ask for it, but I'd rather be more realistic, even if it's not a popular view, to say, guys, look at reality. There's not one member state who's going to say, uh, we're going to ditch out more, much more money for agriculture. Most member states will say, we need to look at how we spend the money we have for agriculture. I just wanted to pick up on something that we had a little discussion about mm -hmm. as we were walking, and that was about the, the structure going forward of the Commission and whether you think that's adequate to face the future challenges. The next, I'm talking here, I know it's in the future, but yeah. the next cap reform and, and the kind of structure of that, especially with things like the SFS law, etc. And I wondered if you had a comment on, you know, the, the kind of structural changes that you see that is required to deal with these new challenges within the cap. Well, first of all, I, I, I um, have seen in the last four years that uh, you know, making a cluster uh, with, uh, let me call myself the Green Deal chief as head of the cluster, which has Agri in it and the uh, Commissioner for Agriculture in it, has already helped. Um, 
So the silo thinking in the commission, it's not disappeared, but it's getting less and less. It's still a lot of work to do. Uh, I admit that it's getting less and less, and especially the young people coming into to, uh, the structures very much think in terms of uh, a holistic approach to nature and agriculture. So, so for the future, I'm quite, quite optimistic. Uh, on the council side, one could, and I, I've been saying this for many years, when I was on the council side, one could consider, given the fact that things are so much intertwined today, one could wonder whether a special corps for agriculture, the uh, Comité Spécial Agricole, is still future-proof. I think, I think agriculture will profit from this being part of the mainstream, whether it's in Corps 1 or Corps 2. Um, I think that that would help also on the council side to have a more holistic approach. But we're in the commission, we're making, we're making progress on this. It's not perfect yet, but we're going in the right direction. Do you think it's time for, for a DG food or for DG Agri to, to maybe have less... less uh, well, if I, see, if I see how uh, environment, climate, uh, health and agri now work together. It's, you know, I, I've, been, I've been going around the block for 35 years in this business. It's completely different than 10 years ago, and it's even quite different than four years ago. So we're moving in the right direction. There could be a bit more speed, uh, and I hope that the next, uh, or uh, the next president of the commission, whether it's from the line or somebody else, would have a plan to perhaps even drive the re restructuring a bit further. Um, and I, you know, I believe in evolution. I'm not a revolutionary. So I think step by step, we'll get there. Well, that's all from us this week. This week, the AgriFood podcast was brought to you by Euractiv's AgriFood team. That is Natasha Food, Julia Dam, Gerardo Fortuna, and Paul Andres with the technical support of Evi Chiori. You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Stitcher, and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. Thank you for listening and see you next week.